0: United States and the Soviet Union on a sheet of ice in Lake Placid, New York. Muller trying to turn, there's the left foot. What a tracking shot. Johnny Muller. If you see a 9 9, Olga Corbett's won a gold medal. There it is. Five seconds left
1: in the game. You're listening to a podcast from Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, an online archive series showcasing the work of expert historians. I'm Vince Hunt and I'll be hosting the series, asking each guest to choose an important document or artefact they think is of great significance in the Cold War sports arena. The Cold War was characterised by one-party states, where sporting results would inexplicably go in favour of the side sponsored by the party. In communist East Germany, the dominant side was Dynamo Berlin, also known as Berliner FC Dinamo, the team sponsored by the secret police, the dreaded Stasi. Alan MacDougall is a history professor at the University of Guelph in Canada. Alan, what were Berliner FC like as a team?
0: Well, they were a good team. Uh, they won the league title 10 years in a row in the 70s and 80s. And um, that wasn't just because they had secret police support. They had good young players, uh, good coaches. And um, most people in East Germany knew that they were a good team. They just didn't like the way in which they won all their league titles. What kind of things would
1: happen to Berliner
0: FC? They always seem to benefit from last-minute penalty decisions, dubious offsides, red cards for the opposition team, just
1: a bunch of things that when they added up looked like more than coincidence. Do you think this is because people were perhaps afraid of the consequences if they didn't give that dodgy penalty?
0: I think it's exactly that. I mean, there was no, there was never any single document found in the archives that talked about a Stasi order for referees to be bribed. It was almost an unconscious thing on the parts of refs that they would... Um, know that they were refereeing BFC that weekend and decide that, hmm, I should probably give that last-minute penalty. Uh, Because, for one thing, that could enable them to continue their careers and, importantly, to referee abroad so they would get to travel to the West and go and referee matches perhaps in uh, West Germany or England or somewhere
1: else. And actually, in those days, that would be quite a treat, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, that was pretty rare for East Germans. I mean, this was a country, of course, enclosed behind the Berlin Wall uh, where citizens couldn't really travel abroad, at least to... Western Europe very easily so yeah it was a privilege and you got to um, access to things in the West that you couldn't get in East Germany so that
1: was attractive yeah. And maybe uh, referees would know that if they didn't give that last minute penalty they might get a visit. They might get a visit that's possibly true I mean it's interesting
0: quite a lot of the referees I mean the Stasi the secret police had a very large network of informers and most of these were not officials working full-time for the secret police these were ordinary people in all walks of society and that included referees so some of the leading East German referees were known as these sort of unofficial informers and so they would have been reporting for Stasi on and off on a pretty regular basis so there was that kind of sort of an insidious network there that, that was
1: always in the background you know. Before we start talking about your methods and your way of researching this topic let's just talk about this as fans of soccer mm-hmm. If I was watching my club and they kept winning in the last minute because of some dodgy uh, decision that went in our favour, I think I'd get a bit bored hmm. after a while. Well, that's exactly what
0: happened. I mean, I think most fans of the game quite enjoy it when their team benefits from an unjust decision once or twice. There's a lot of uh, schadenfreude in that. But if it happens game after game, month after month, year after year, then yeah, it becomes very boring. And it's very interesting that the attendance figures at BFC's games in the 80s, when they were at the peak of their powers, very successful team, uh, they went through the floor. So BFC's uh, people actually going to watch the games uh, dropped in number quite drastically. Um, And I think that probably tells you a lot about how that put off their own fans as well as, of course, making fans of other teams very angry. I mean, that was part of a wider trend in European football in the 80s, You know, partly because of hooliganism and partly because football was then nowhere near as fashionable as it is today. But at the time with BFC, it was completely related to the fact that they didn't really even have to try too much to win the league. It became so easy and the
1: fans got bored and everyone else got angry. This team is the Stasi team there's a certain element of risk in waving your fist at the referee, isn't there?
0: Yeah, it was certainly you were certainly venturing into a bit of dangerous territory, I'd say. I mean, in the stadium itself, there was a degree of safety in numbers, so you could probably engage in sort of anti-BFC chants uh, and know that in the age before really close-circuit cameras were around in football grounds too much, that you could probably get away with that. But, you know, football grounds like everywhere else in East Germany, there were st- plainclothes Stasi officers, never too far away. So you still had to be careful. What's interesting is that fans, despite this, managed to protest against BFC in a number of different ways. You had anti-BFC leaflets distributed, complaints made to the authorities through this official form of petitions, as they were called in East Germany. Um, But it was also a discussion that was going on in public, in newspapers as well. I mean slightly coded perhaps, but you know, that the BFC question or the BFC problem was, a, was discussed in public as well as in private. East Germany, as everyone knows, I think, was a sporting superpower by the 70s and 80s, dominating the Olympics, winning gold medal after gold medal in rowing, swimming, track and field, all these things. But in football, it was the exact opposite. They couldn't compete on the international level. And one of the reasons for sort of channeling resources and players to BFC was to create a nucleus of players for a successful international team, the East German national team. Um, But it all backfired spectacularly because the team was so unpopular, the players were booed when they played for the national team, which is, I think, you know, quite rare. And um, the East German national team in the 80s actually struggled more than it did in the 70s before BFC got good. So again, it's one of these interesting paradoxes that the success of the team actually harming East German football domestically, but also internationally. All of
1: this is rebounding in the wrong way, isn't it? Absolutely, it's a,
0: it's a good example of um, best-laid plans from very structured communist systems that um, you know backfire quite quite spectacularly. Yeah.
1: To illustrate this whole idea of uh, of a bent football match, mm. you've picked one game in particular, haven't you?
0: That's right. Um, in uh, March nineteen eighty six, uh, BFC, as usual, were near the top of the league. And their main rivals for the title that season were a team from Leipzig, the railway team, Lokomotiva. And there was a crucial game that March that was really, in effect, a title decider between the two teams in Leipzig. Lokomotiva, the home team, were winning 1-0, and it was the 95th minute. Some fans will tell you it was the 98th or the ninety-ninth minute, so long into stoppage time in the game. Lokomotiva were down to 10 men. They'd already had a red card. The ball went into the area and a BFC player fell over and the referee pointed to the spot, gave a penalty, BFC equalised and so got a 1-1 draw in the game and eventually went on to win the league by just the two points that separated them as a result of that game. So it was in East German football folklore that was a very famous or infamous game, yeah
1: and there is actually video mm-hmm. of this particular incident this refereeing decision that uh, is available to see on these usual social media channels uh, that we have nowadays and and it is particularly well worth going to look at this incident isn't it i mean just just tell me about it i think we've discussed this before we started recording and this incident might fall into the category i've seen them given mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be a good description of it. And
0: increasingly, in the modern game, the decision would probably be that that would be a penalty. But probably back in the mid-1980s, when football was a bit rougher and a bit less regulated, and there was probably a bit less theatricality in the game, this would be seen as a soft penalty. And it would have also been seen, we have to think of the build-up here, you know, the soft penalties over years and years given to BFC in the last minutes. This was another one to add to that. So in isolation it was probably a you know a 50-50 a borderline decision for a penalty but in the context of the game the opposition and the club's history uh, you know it looked too much to be coincidence let's just say
1: in the 4 minute nachspielzeit ahne de stumpf East German Renter tv commentator heinrich Schumpf muller Schumpf says in the 4 minutes of stoppage time referee stump awards a penalty against Richter for shoving burned stools. in der zeitluppe sehen sie das kirchen ganz links am side. Even the slow motion gives no clear evidence as to whether it was a penalty or not. The referee said, I was standing four metres from it. Richter knocks Stoltz over with his elbow. It was a very controversial decision. It does look
0: like a dive, doesn't it? Yeah, certainly the, the, the BFC attacker falls to the ground under the slightest of touches, the touch of a feather, you might say, and... Um, Uh, the referee points very quickly to the penalty spot. Um, And this was a point in the game when most uh, fans of the home team thought that the referee should have blown the whistle. So it it almost felt as if the referee was waiting for something to happen in order to give BFC that penalty.
1: 98 minutes. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure what would have happened, but I, I talked to fans of other teams who were listening on the radio to the commentary of the various games in the league that day and of course all the other games had finished about 10 minutes before and they were listening on their radios to this game and I think they all knew what was coming. It's sad though isn't it? Sport is sport isn't it and, mm-hmm. and if it's fixed
1: it, it ceases to be sport.
0: Yeah absolutely I mean there are a number of examples of that from uh, communist countries and other countries with sort of dictatorial regimes where politics and the desire of a regime to support a certain team influences events on the pitch. Now I'd say football is harder to to fix and shape than other sports and there were certainly other factors that led to BFC being so dominant. It wasn't just because they were cheating and their fans will tell you that very clearly. But nonetheless the the playing field was obviously tilted in their favour and um, they were the beneficiaries of that.
1: This incident was too much. It was the final straw for one man and part of your research uh, was to uh, discover uh, his method of uh, protesting against this
0: that's right now in east germany you didn't have the usual means of protest that you might have in what we would call a western democracy you know there wasn't no, there wasn't the obvious public forums for protest so one of the ways in which people registered their complaints about anything whether it was football or something else was to write to the authorities in what were called petitions and In the 80s, this became a major way of complaining about BFC's dominance. And one fan decided after this game to write not just one, but two petitions to the authorities to complain about the refereeing in this game, and to complain in very... strong terms. He said, I I too see how football can look at Bayern Munich, which would have been a very politically sensitive issue in East Germany. Communist East German state did not like its citizens being interested in and attracted to anything from the West. So this reference to West Germany's leading team would have been quite painful to read. Um, At the end, um, in the final part of his letter, he says... um, I was pleased to hear about your question about how East Germany will become world class at football. And his rather sarcastic answer is, does that mean you're all going to resign? He's talking here to the East German Football Association. So there's a kind of very cynical, jaded and sarcastic tone to the petition here that was very typical of uh, communications about BFC. People were very angry and that anger, I think, spread from the football pitch to other areas of
1: East German society in the 80s. I mean, this leads us into this whole idea of of dissent Mm. and and protest. If you don't like the system and if you don't like uh, the solutions that this system has come up with, what do you do about that? And surely if you reject those solutions and you reject this path that has been chosen for you, you're over on the other side of the fence, aren't you, really? There are certainly ways in which... The protests against BFC's dominance,
0: they're they're kind of a form of resistance. Now, that's a term that you have to use very carefully, I think, in an East German context. But there weren't that many options available to East German citizens. I mean, you couldn't walk up to the headquarters of the Stasi and hold banners. Um, You couldn't go and protest on the Berlin Wall unless you wanted to get shot. One of the ways in which you might be able to protest was through football. And because BFC was the team of the Stasi, um, inevitably, when you protested against them, you were making a protest against the state. There were no two ways about it.
1: Which is dangerous
0: territory. It could be dangerous territory, absolutely. And particularly if if it took some sort of written form that was perhaps outside of legal channels. So, for example, distributing pamphlets at games, perhaps being caught saying anti-BFC chants, for example.
1: I mean, you know, that could land you in some trouble. A couple of careless remarks after uh, uh, one or two pints could also be dangerous.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And most East German clubs in the 1980s developed supporters clubs just like many clubs in England, West Germany and elsewhere. And these supporters clubs were infiltrated by the secret police. So you'd have regular groups of um, young fans just getting together for a beer after a game or travelling en masse to an away game. And you might have a plainclothes Stasi officer somewhere listening in. So you had to be very careful about what you said. But what's interesting is that people continue to criticise BFC and they continued to kind of develop this sort of subculture around football and drinking and travelling together that was really kind of apart from the mainstream culture. And it tells you there are spaces in these countries where you can kind of develop your own ideas and spaces and some form, yeah, of resistance. Berliner FC developed a bit of a siege mentality, their fans. I mean, they felt that they were persecuted unjustly, in their view. Uh, They were not a very popular team, so the number of fans was quite small. So there were many ways in which they sort of cultivated a separate identity, but one of them was the development of quite a hardcore right wing hooligan fringe that sort of led the club into battle against other clubs in and around different stadiums in East Germany in the 80s. So, I mean, sometimes they were instigators, sometimes they were the victims, but um, it usually got quite tasty.
1: You've been listening to a podcast from the series Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, a project bringing together experts from around the world and hosted here on the Wilson Centre's online digital archive at digitalarchive.org.